Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, uh, I definitely failed this morning, as I was just humbly reminded <laughs> by my good friend Jackie, <laughs> that I was getting ready this morning, and it definitely did not dawn on me that I wasn't wearing Christmas attire. So she, she came in uh, at the last moment for me, so I get to still be here with you all. And uh, thank you, Karen, who is not here today, for making sure that the environment was Christmas-friendly so we could wear our sweaters and not sweat to death. So thanks for that, Karen. And um, the joke was a lot funnier earlier when it was pouring down rain, but for those that were showing up, we were like, thanks for toughing out that blizzard to get here today, because had it just been a little bit colder, we may have had to have church at home. But anyways, welcome. I am so glad you guys are here. As you can see, we are missing um, a very large portion of our group today. We've got lots of people out of town. Uh, so we miss you all. If you are joining us online, I know some of you are online this morning. So good morning. We are glad that you are here with us. Um, as you prepare your hearts for worship this morning, I want to read to you from Psalm 100, reading verses 1 through 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. This is the day you have made. And the weather may not be ideal, but Lord, we will still rejoice. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We can still rise and praise you on this day because you are good and your faithful love endures and is present in our lives. God, we love you and we just invite you into this space. Join us here. Be with us. Speak to us. Encourage us. Minister to us in a special way this morning. We give you the praise and the glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
this morning, friends. Just draw near to the Lord and let him draw near to you this morning. God, we come before you today humble, recognizing our need for you. Lord, we recognize our continued need for you in our lives Lord, we continue to recognize our need for your presence in and among us. Lord, we recognize weekly and sometimes daily just how broken this world is. We are reminded frequently, Lord, of the brokenness that is all around us. God, we see that in our loved ones who are sick and frail, And we remember them this morning. We lift them up to you, God. You know each one by name. Lord, we we remember our friends who are going through many trials, Lord. We have friends 
connected to us in this space today who are walking in what feels like a dark, dark valley. Lord, would you draw near to them in that valley this morning? God, may those that are hurting and and struggling and, and living in what feels like despair, I pray, God, that you would draw near to them in a new and a fresh way. Encourage them, God. Help them to have peace in your presence, knowing that you are with them, that you hold them in your hands. God, we... We are being made increasingly aware of the changing effects of COVID-19. God, we, are, we know more and more people who are becoming sick, some severely sick. We remember them this morning and their families. God, we know that many are being touched by this variant And we know that in many cases, it's very serious. Humble us, Lord. Help us, God, to be increasingly aware that just when we think we have it figured out, help us to be cautious, Lord. Help us to do our very best to love our neighbor as ourselves and to do what is right to care for them in this time. Help us, Lord, to extend love and grace to one another, because we know that in in difficult times, in times of trouble and great um, uneasiness at the unknown, God, it's easy for us to snap at one another, it's easy for us to judge one another, it's easy for us to criticize the other, but Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves And instead, seek to love and bring peace to all those around us. Help us, Lord, to be people of love and grace and mercy. Help us to bring your peace in every situation and in every relationship, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we long to be a united people of peace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This world is in desperate need of a holy peace that comes from Jesus that is seen in and through his people, his church. Help us to be those people. Help us to respond faithfully to the call to be people of peace. God, we love you and we thank you for the mercy and the grace that you extend to us in moments where we fail, in moments where we mess up and miss the mark. We thank you, Lord, that you never fail to extend that loving mercy and forgiveness to us. Help us to do the same to others. God, I just pray that as in a few moments as we open up your word, that you will speak to us through your holy word, that this would be your word for your people on this day. And God, we trust you to continue to guide and direct us in all things. And we thank you, Lord, for your guidance. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.
Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. Thank you, Dave. That song is just as beautiful in July as it is in December. And um, thank you so much for that. Did anyone else feel like the year just flew by? And here, we're already singing Christmas songs. What is happening? Just kidding. If you feel worried, you still have like five months to do all your Christmas shopping. So it's all good. Don't fret. It's all good. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thank you, God. You may be seated. 
As we begin, I want to paint a picture for you. If you're one of those people that has to close your eyes to imagine it, feel free to do so, but I just want to paint a picture for you this morning. I want, to, I want you to imagine that in a perfect world, we would all live in these quaint, picturesque neighborhoods. Maybe for some of you, in the, in the spirit of Christmas, your mind goes to a Hallmark Christmas movie, which I think you can watch in July. Is that right? Any Hallmark fans? Yes, I think so. Um, maybe all year long. I don't really know, but especially in July. But imagine maybe one of those quaint, picturesque scenes from a Hallmark movie where every house is just so beautifully decorated, like it's straight out of a Thomas Kincaid book or off a Christmas card, and, and the lights are shining so beautifully as each bulb is perfectly placed on the house, and the snow is falling at just the perfect rate and, and speed, and, and people aren't getting ice in their eyes, and they're not frigidly cold. They seem to just be enjoying themselves, even though it's cold enough to be snowing. Imagine just this picturesque neighborhood, this picture-perfect house that has the white picket fence all around it, right? Imagine a scene where neighbors are out and about, and they're smiling at their neighbors, and they're waving at them as they pass by, and they're talking to them, and some just love any opportunity to stop and talk to a neighbor and exchange pleasantries with them, and, and as you're walking your dog or as you're jogging, see, in my picture-perfect world, I would be jogging, but I'm not, because this is a real world, and I don't jog, but you're, you're walking your dog or you're jogging, and you love to see your neighbor as you pass by, and you can't wait to stop and chat with them, whether it's the heat of summer or, or in the middle of, of the Christmas season. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine this picture-perfect scene? Unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this doesn't appear to be the world in which we live. This doesn't appear to be the case for many of us as we look around our neighborhoods. We're going to be really disappointed that this is not what we see. Sometimes in our neighborhoods, you end up with stories like these. Let me share a few with you this morning. One person lived on the third floor of an apartment building, an apartment building that was entirely filled with the unpleasant aroma of, wait for it, cat urine. After complaining, <laughs> so it's a special smell, isn't it? After complaining to the building's office for two years straight, I don't really understand this waiting two years business, but after complaining for two years straight, the neighbor finally called animal control officials who found 30 cats in one woman's apartment. And I think that explains the smell. One person writes that an old neighbor of theirs used to feed local skunks, and the skunks would hang out around the apartment building as a result. Why? I have so many questions. How about the neighbor whose parents had to pay to replace the fence between their yard and their neighbor's yard because their neighbor's boxer would completely destroy the fence, and the dog owners refused to split the cost, even though it was shared property? One person simply wrote this, bagpipes all the time. How would you like to live next to that guy? <laughs> 
What about the one, I'm sure you've heard this one, what about the one with the neighbor who was frustrated at how prosperous his other neighbor was and, and it just so happened that wells were, were the reason that he was so prosperous and so he was so angry at how well his neighbor lived that he would put things in his neighbor's well like rocks and tree uh, and to try to stop it up. And, and when that didn't work, he demanded that his neighbor move. And the neighbor moved. Did you hear that story? Did you not hear that story? Okay, sorry. I thought you were familiar with that story. Maybe I'll come back and explain it later if we have time. But I just wonder, have you this morning, can you think of a moment or a time when you had a neighbor that you absolutely couldn't get along with? Do you know this neighbor? Have you had this neighbor? If not... You might be that neighbor. I'm just saying, if you can't think of anyone, I'm just saying it might be you. Just think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. But have you ever had that neighbor that you absolutely couldn't get along with? That one that just annoyed you to no end? What did you do? Really, what did you do in response to that neighbor that you just couldn't quite stand and that just the conflicts were... We're continuous. See, conflicts with neighbors, uh, this is not surprising to you, I know, but these are nothing new, right? I, I'm sure that anytime you put two people together in a shared space, eventually something bad is going to happen and eventually conflict will arise. And whether it's something as small as, as someone's tree hanging over into the neighbor's yard and so they have to deal with the limbs and the leaves and that annoys them, or whether it's a huge issue, or, or in our minds, a bigger issue, like your kids were best friends until they had a falling out, and now they don't speak anymore. That actually happened to us once, and it was a really stressful situation that we had to deal with, with our kids and our neighbor's kids. Uh, whether it's just a little annoyance that you, you know, it's not life-changing or altering, but it just does annoy you, or whether it's a serious problem, like your neighbor might actually be a danger to the neighborhood. The question is, how do we handle our ornery neighbors? How do we handle our neighbors that, that just irk us and, and, and bother us to no end? How do we handle it? I mean, if we're following Paul's direction, as we just read in our passage, Paul would say this, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Don't do to them what they've done to you, even though you feel very justified in doing so. I'm kind of expanding on that a little bit. He says, instead, be careful, be careful to do what is right. And then he says these words, if possible, as far as it depends on you, not your neighbor, but you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, we just need to pause at the weightiness of these words. This is a tall order, Paul, okay? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's really difficult sometimes, right? I'm not alone in that, am I? That's really difficult sometimes. And just keep in mind that if you think it's difficult for us, Paul is speaking to Christians in Rome who are being persecuted and who are living under the oppressive leadership of the Roman Empire, right? That's who Paul is speaking to. And he's saying to those people who live in this oppressive fear of the Romans, hey, guys, if it's possible, 
live at peace with everyone, even those oppressive Romans. Like, that is really weighty. And I like how scholars are careful to note that little, that little phrase, if it is possible. And friends, that just simply means that sometimes another person is going to be determined, determined to, to have this desire for discord and conflict no matter what you do. And so there are certain moments and occasions where it's out of your control. We can acknowledge that, right? We can give ourselves that freedom to accept that sometimes I am not in control of what my neighbor is doing. But Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But the reality is, is, is we live in this messy, broken world where, where we are messy and broken people. And yet, Paul, who is very well aware of this, is saying that when conflict comes, when friction does come, our responsibility, yours and mine, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, our responsibility is to seek to resolve the conflict, refusing to participate in, in the trouble or the acts of discord, but we are to actively seek to resolve the conflict. We are, we are called to actively respond with love and grace even to our ornery neighbors, our ornery coworkers, our ornery family members or friends. This applies to anyone in every relationship in our lives. And just a reminder, Paul is not saying anything new here. This is not some new teaching that these Christians are hearing, is it? That Paul is just simply echoing what Jesus has already said in another way in other places in Scripture, perhaps most notably in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, he says, you have heard that it was said. You've heard before. In other words, you've seen before. It's not right, but you've seen it before. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus tells us, love your enemies. Pray and bless those who persecute you. See, Jesus takes this idea of having an enemy or an adversary and he flips it on its head because the world would say, no, you kind of turn your back on them. You even maybe get even if you can, but at the very least, you do not love them and you do not make any effort to be friendly with them. That's what the world says and that's how the world deals with enemies in conflict. But Jesus takes this idea and he flips it on its head and he says, no, I want you to look actively look for ways that you can bless those who persecute you, bless those who hate you, bless those who want to harm you. This is the guy, by the way. This is the very man who prayed with his last dying breath on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. N.T. Wright, he sums up what Paul is saying in Romans 12, referring to Jesus, and he says these beautiful words. He says, we are to find creative, surprising new ways of dealing with people who hurt us. <laughs> All right, let's just stop and think about that for a second. Have you ever thought about this? People who, who you feel like are not really your friend and who go out of their way to annoy you. And, and this amazingly smart, talented scholar is telling us to find creative, surprising new ways of dealing with those people. All right, let's see. He says, we are... 
listen, we are not dismissing evil. Evil is real. It does hurt, sometimes badly, with long-lasting effects, and it does matter. We're not dismissing it. But, he says, at the center of the Christian story, when evil reached its height, God came and took its full weight upon himself, thereby exhausting it and opening the way for the creation of a new world together. And if God was able to accomplish that, then I think you and I can at the very least consider and contemplate new and surprising ways that we can deal with people who hurt us and who have wronged us. In other words, when someone does you wrong, we aren't saying that it doesn't matter. I know that you might be sitting here thinking, you just don't know what people have done to me. You're, you're talking about lighthearted stuff like conflicts with neighbors, trees, and dogs. But you don't know what some of the people in my life have done to me. You don't know how they have physically and mentally harmed me. You don't know the stress that they have caused me. You don't know what kind of things I deal with every single day because of their sin and evil against me. And to that I would say, you're right. I probably don't know. But I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that you should just get over it and move on. I'm not saying that you should ignore that pain and pretend like it doesn't exist. But instead, I'm simply encouraging us to explore the possibility of forgiving because we have been forgiven. I'm simply encouraging that you and I explore the ways in which we can love those who hurt us because we have been loved. I'm asking and encouraging us to explore ways that we can forgive others who have hurt us because God has forgiven us when we've hurt and sinned against him. See, last week we talked about the reality that this whole idea of loving your neighbor thing might be really difficult for you because you might be someone that says, I just don't love my neighbors. I just don't. What do you want me to do? I don't love them. I don't like them. What do you want me to do about that? And we talked about how we're not going to be able to embrace the idea of loving our neighbor if we haven't embraced and received the love that Christ has offered to us. It's Christ's love for me that I've received, that I've accepted, that compels me to love other people. And in the same way, I would say that if you haven't received the amazing mercy and forgiveness of Christ, that it is going to be difficult, more difficult, I should say, for you to extend that forgiveness to others. But I forgive because I'm forgiven. I'm compelled to forgive you and not hold a grievance against you because God has not held mine against me. See, once you've received the gracious, merciful forgiveness of Jesus, you're compelled to move closer to others, forgiving them, making peace with them, no matter what, no matter the offense. And I understand that that's difficult that's incredibly difficult for some of us, and I'm just here to tell you, this wasn't in my notes to say at this particular moment, but I just don't want to miss the opportunity to say this is not possible without Christ in you. I'm not asking you on your own to muster up everything you've got to forgive and love who's hurt you. I'm not asking you to do that. 
I would never say on your own, try to do that. But instead, I'm asking you to simply humble yourself before God and say, God, would you help me to forgive this person that I can't imagine forgiving? Can you help me to love this person that I just, quite frankly, can't imagine loving? It's okay for us to be honest and raw with God and say, I can't do this without you. In fact, I'm not really sure how this is possible, but I trust that through you it is. On a much lighter note, um, the authors of the book, The Art of Neighboring, that has inspired this series, they give this example. It's a light example. It's not like a serious situation. I mean, it is, but not in the way we've been talking about. They give this example of a neighbor in some conflict just because this is the reality for us in our day-to-day lives with our neighbors. We have conflict. So, so here's one example. There was this neighbor. His name was Pete, and, and he and his wife lived next to a, a, a guy who had a dog who was always outside and just barked constantly and never stopped. I, we're beating that um, example to death because it just seems to be one that's really prevalent, right? We've probably all lived in those neighborhoods where the dogs just don't stop barking. They just bark nonstop. And so Pete and his wife, they've just had this newborn baby, and now the, the dog's barking. At one time, it was just annoying and obnoxious, but now it is interfering with my sleep, And if you've been somebody who's gone without sleep for any extended period of time, you will do anything to get that sleep, right? With those of us who have had to get real creative with newborn babies, we will do it, whatever. Tell me, I'll do anything just to get some sleep. And so Pete decides that for the sake of his wife and his newborn baby, and I'm assuming his sanity, he is going to take matters into his own hands, but he's not going to do anything ugly. He's going to simply go next door and talk to his neighbor. That seems like the sensible thing to do, right? Just go next door and hash it out. Just talk about it. Get it out there. And so he does. That sounds very healthy and brave to me, honestly. So he goes next door, and he, he knocks on the door, and he talks to the neighbor, but the neighbor is totally defensive, and he is just not hearing anything that Pete is saying, and Pete's just trying to meet the guy in the middle, and he's like, come on, man, I've got a newborn baby, and my wife is tired, and I'm tired, and our life is just falling apart because of this dog. Is there anything we can do? Can you meet me in the middle? The neighbor was totally against it, and and actually was super rude and defensive, and just leaves, closes the door and leaves. So Pete goes back home, and and he's left with this reality that this barking dog is totally ruining their lives, to be a little bit dramatic. Well, as time goes on, the weeks passed, and and Pete and his wife are still dealing with this reality, but but they're Christians. They, They love Jesus. They're followers of Jesus, and so they're trying to figure out how to continue to love this neighbor who has absolutely refused to meet them anywhere in the middle with this barking dog. And so... That, that desire came, became available to him one snowy day in December, the spirit of Christmas in July. One snowy day in December, Pete was outside shoveling the snow from his driveway. We haven't done that a whole lot, but we're about to get maybe a little bit more familiar with what that's like. And he's shoveling the snow in his driveway, and he looks over and notices that his neighbor hasn't shoveled his snow yet. Oh, of course. So Pete feels compelled to just go over there and shovel his neighbor's driveway. And I'm just saying, 
that's Jesus, right? That is only Jesus because this neighbor has sort of ruined your life for the moment and and just robbed you of your sleep because of his dog and you're going to go over there and shovel his snow. That's Jesus. It's all Jesus. And so he goes over there and he shovels the entire driveway and he gets ready to leave when suddenly someone comes outside and it's the neighbor's brother, the barking, the barking dog's uncle, I guess. The neighbor's brother comes outside, and he goes over there, and he thanks Pete. He's, he's thanked him for what he's done, and he says, my brother's actually in the hospital right now. He's just been diagnosed with cancer. And Pete says, suddenly, in that moment, everything changed. All of a sudden, the issue was no longer about a noisy dog. In fact, that didn't seem important at all. He said, it would be ridiculous to imagine my neighbors trying to figure out a way to keep their dog quiet when all along he and his family are in the midst of a life-altering crisis. So as the neighbor comes home from the hospital, Pete finds other ways to love and serve his neighbor as he's dealing with this cancer. And in the midst of that, a real bond forms between these neighbors. And a friendship um, forms, and they begin to share meals together. They take turns watching each other's kids, and, and they become real, true friends, not just neighbors who tolerate each other. And you see, what that story can teach us is that as we seek to love our neighbors, even when they're annoying, as we seek peace during conflict, God changes us sometimes more than he changes them or the situation. And God, in these moments, has the ability to transform us into the people he wants us to be. And when asked if the dog still barks, Pete said, yeah, He does. But you know what? It's just not as loud as it used to be. In fact, sometimes I don't even really notice it at all. Earlier I mentioned to you the story about the neighbor who was mad because his neighbor was prosperous. And he got so mad and nothing was working that he was trying to do to kind of disrupt that that he asked the neighbor to move and the neighbor said yes. Have you figured out where you've heard that story yet? It's in Genesis chapter 26. That's where that story is found. And it's the story of Isaac. And Isaac, and I'll, I'll make this really quick, I promise. Isaac is in this, in this moment, he is living this blessed, prosperous life because Abraham is Isaac's father and God has made a covenant with Abraham and God has promised to bless Abraham and his descendants. And that's happening with Isaac. God is, is blessing Isaac. He's guiding Isaac and Isaac is living in obedience and faithfulness to God. And so he's got this prosperous life. And one of the ways that transpires is he has these wells that make him and his and his family prosperous. And his Philistine neighbors were intimidated by this. They were so intimidated by this that they told Isaac to move. Go read the story for yourself. Genesis 26, start with verse 12. The neighbors, after they try to fill his well with doesn't that sound like such a thing a neighbor would do? Like throw limbs and stuff in the neighbor's yard just to be spiteful? That just sounds like something a neighbor would do sometimes. But they tried to stop up these wells, and when that didn't work, they said, you've become too prosperous, we need you to move. Literally in verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, you have become too powerful for us. And he does, Isaac does. He picks up his family and he moves and he settles in a new place. 
Well, that's nice enough, right? That's nice enough of Isaac to do that. He's, he's trusting in God, and he's, he's faithful to God, and he knows that God's going to care for him. So he picks up, and he goes, and he settles somewhere else, and his servants are digging wells, and, and oh, look, we found fresh spring water. And the neighbors find out, and they say, oh, that's ours. That's our water. Stop. Go. That's ours. Can't have it. And so they leave, and he goes, and he finds a new home to dwell. He, he peacefully moves until he found a place where he could settle. And I love that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of these difficult, ornery neighbors, to say the least, God meets Isaac in a moment, and he says in verse 24, I love what he says to Isaac. He says, Isaac, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I will bless you and make your offsprings numerous for my servant Abraham's sake. God is in this moment recalling this covenant that he's made with Abraham. And he's going to be faithful to that through his son Isaac. And Isaac doesn't have to worry about how God's going to do that. He just knows that he will. Well, the story ends with Abimelech, the, the original angry, mean neighbor, he comes and he finds Isaac. He just sets out to find him. And he comes and he finds Isaac. And he basically says to him, you know what, Isaac? I see that the Lord has been with you and has blessed you. So I want to make peace with you. See, sometimes God is just working to change us and to make us look more like him. And in other times, God will actively move in the lives of your neighbors, friends, coworkers. And the point of the story, I hate to tell you, the point of the story is not that you should move when your neighbors are ornery. I don't think that we're instructed to just pick up and move. Some cases might warrant it, I guess, if it's severe. But, but that's a different context. That's a different time. And so the, the message for us is not to just pick up and move at the sight of an annoying neighbor. In fact, I think Paul would urge his readers to say, don't leave at the result of conflict, but find a way to bring peace in the midst of it. But instead, what we can gain from this story is that Isaac never once stopped short from keeping peace with those around him, with his neighbors, even if it meant complying and doing something crazy like moving away. He doesn't protest. He doesn't badmouth. He doesn't, you know, leave any, anything behind that's going to harm his neighbors. He's not unkind to them. He just does what they ask him to do to keep the peace. And I know what you're probably thinking, because I thought the same thing when I read this story. I thought, that is just crazy. That's a crazy way of living. That's a crazy way of thinking. And I would say that, that it is. This is a very upside-down way of living. This is completely opposite from what we see in the world. And if you're secretly judging Isaac just a little bit, I understand. But one scholar notes about this story. He says, the world portrayed here is one where the people of God take the first step toward peace. And they settle differences, not by the show of strength, but by their willingness to be reconciled to others and fulfill their mission by becoming a blessing to others. I just want to share a few more things with you before we close this morning. We're celebrating Christmas in July, right? It's been lovely, hasn't it? It's been really nice. That's been a fun little 
change of pace for us in the midst of this hot summer. Well, one of the things that we celebrate during the Christmas season or during the Advent season is the theme of peace. And so I thought that fit really nicely, Aaron, with, with the Christmas in July and this theme of peace. And we talk about peace on earth and peace through this newborn babe that has just come to us. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about peace. He says, the followers of Jesus, that's you, friends, that's me, we've been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. And to that end, they renounce all violent and tumult. In the, in, in the cause of Christ, nothing is to be gained by such methods. For his kingdom is one of peace. And the mutual greeting of his flock is a greeting of peace. His disciples keep the peace by choosing to, this is crazy, this is backwards, to endure suffering themselves rather than inflict it on others. They renounce all self-assertion and they quietly suffer in the face of hatred and wrong. And in doing so, they overcome evil with good and establish the peace of God in the midst of a world of war and hate. Wow, that's hard. That's really hard. That's not a surface level kind of peace. That's not like Miss America standing on the stage and when being asked what's the one thing that she could have world peace, right? It's not a pie in the sky kind of peace. It's a peace might come at the result of giving of myself. As the praise team comes back up this morning, I want to remind us that we cannot attain this peace on our own with our own strength. And I want to remind us too that you and I have attempted to be people of peace And there have been times where we have failed. There have been times where I have totally and completely missed the mark. And as I was being cut off on the highway, I was not interested in keeping peace with that person in that moment. I was just wanting to let them know how frustrated I was. Right? There have been moments where we've completely failed and blown it and have not been people of peace. But friends... God has reconciled us to himself, and we are now to be those who seek to reconcile, those who seek to bring peace. And as people of God, I just want you to know this morning that we are to take the first step toward reconciliation and peace. We're going to be tempted to bail. We're going to be tempted to throw our hands up and say, I'm out. I'm not doing this. This is crazy. But we, as people of God, are to take the first step toward reconciliation and peace. So the next time, as we close this morning and as we give the Lord space to speak to us and to challenge us and to convict us and correct us, as we close, I want you to think about this. The next time you are offended by a neighbor... Anything they say or do, or or a coworker, or a family member, or a friend, the next time you feel yourself being offended or feeling offended, I want you to pause. And I want you to pray. 
And I want you to ask yourself, you got to do this all really quickly, okay? Because you can't, you may not always be able to like extend this really long in that moment. But, but I want you to ask yourself in these situations, in these moments, do I fight? Do I flee? Can I own my own faults in conflict? Do I perpetuate hurt by being retributive? Do we allow conflict to become an opportunity for growth? Can we live patiently with differences that are not yet resolved and may never be resolved? Friends, I want to encourage you to seek to bring peace. And may we ask Jesus to help us to be people who bring peace. Amen. Please stand and sing this song with us this morning.
friends. I know we'll get to experience or, or celebrate this again in a few months, but it's still appropriate to remind you that on that silent, holy night, peace finally did come to earth as it was in heaven. And that peace lives in and through you and I. So I pray, friends, that we would be people of peace. Let us pray once more together this morning. God, would you be in us and help us as we try to be people who seek to bring peace and reconciliation in moments of conflict, in moments of disagreement, in moments of great difficulty. God, whether that's just as simple as dealing with an ornery, annoying neighbor, or, or whether there are some in this place that are, are dealing with horrific things that have happened in their lives because of another person, God, only you can meet them in the midst of that pain and that heartache and that grief, and only you can provide peace and reconciliation in their hearts and in that relationship. So God, in a way that only you can do, we, we trust those situations to you. We trust that you would be able to bring peace when we never thought possible. Lord, help us to be people who seek to bring peace into every situation all around us. God, we give you the glory and the praise that it's possible for us to live in this way. And we pray all of this in the might and strength of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, before you leave this morning, I do just have a few quick announcements for you. The first one is that VBS is coming. This Thursday and Friday, VBS is going to take place here um, in Saturday morning as well. Just a few notes for those of you who have signed up to volunteer. And, and just so you know, you should already know if you are signed up to volunteer. Um, but if you have any questions at all, I would say that you could see Nicole Whitney after the service and she can answer any questions you might have. But first, let me just remind volunteers to be here um, Somewhere around 5.30, 5.45, depending on what you're doing. If you're just a group leader, um, you could probably show up at 5.45. But if you're a person that's setting anything up, 5.30 would be appropriate for you. Um, we would like to have a way that our, our kids and, and families can know who the volunteers are. And so we are asking all of our volunteers to, on Thursday night, wear some kind of blue shirt or top. Um, it doesn't have to be a specific shade of blue, probably the brighter the better, but just any kind of blue shirt. Don't go out and buy something. Uh, we'll make something work out, but um, if you can, wear blue on Thursday and red on Friday, um, and then we'll announce that to the kids just so they know if, if they need, are looking for a volunteer. That's how they can spot us. Um, also, if there's anyone in the church that would be willing to take pictures for us, would you see either myself or Nicole Whitney and let us know? Uh, we're just looking for somebody to snap some pictures each day um, and maybe put together um, like a little slideshow for us. Although if you can take pictures and can't put together a slideshow, we'll work that out. Um, but if anyone's interested in that, let me know, please. Um, uh, after service this morning, um, Belva Hispanic has prepared another amazing lunch for us that we can grab and go. Um, this week they are doing tacos, and this is the exact picture, or that's the exact tacos in this picture, and they're also doing tortas, I believe. So if you um, don't have plans for lunch, 
you will not be sorry. It wasn't that last meal delicious that they did. That was so, so good. So I'm very excited um, about this meal. And, and that'll just be out here. And that's, again, to they're raising funds to bring in um, an evangelist to the Hispanic church, to Belva Hispanic in September. So we want to support that, okay? And then finally this morning, um, the early bird registration for lay retreat is this week. So if you are interested in lay retreat, um, you can sign up. Uh, you can ask me if you have any questions. You can also talk with Dan or Janet Reinhardt, and, and they will kind of get you some maybe some answers to questions that you might have. Um, there really is no deadline. I may not announce it every week going forward, but just know that you can sign up at any point up until the retreat, um, but the early bird sign up does save you like 25 bucks, and that ends this week. So let us know if you're interested in that. All right. This morning, would you stand? And brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the love and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that you would seek to bring peace in your life. You are loved. You are dismissed. Have a great day.